Good morning, Stonebridge. So, uh, Chris Hanson, many of you know me, um, an elder here uh, at Stonebridge. Um, I've shared with you guys before and uh, here again, blessed again to be uh, sharing with you. I want to save you uh, some comparisons uh, about uh, the stories of Moses uh, to Scott Frost, Nebraska's head football coach, as he guides his people through the wilderness into the promised land, because we have a lot to cover today. <laughs> so, sorry about that. I just have to get that little dig in there. Uh, when last I shared, I was, best, I was blessed to be speaking over uh, a great gospel passage, and today... I'm going to be sharing with you what God has put on my heart uh, with a bit of a historical twist. Uh, one thing some of you may not know about me is I'm a little bit of a history nerd, um, yet I feel like there's a lot that we can learn from history. And if we choose and if we look at a lot of the themes that repeat themselves, even in, even in these uh, Old Testament books um, throughout the Bible, um, there's a lot of good foreshadowing and a lot of good application uh, that we can take away. So as we move through our study of the book of Numbers, um, know that the history is important, and yet we need to try and take away some of the application from these passages as well. And in order to give people context, um, I thought it would be fun just to kind of uh, make it a little bit uh, lighter today as we're going through numbers um, because, uh, well, I previously had compared Quentin Tarantino to Paul. I felt like I probably should try and get some sort of a, a movie reference in there. And so that's one of the things that kind of came to my heart uh, at... Uh, about 10 o'clock one night uh, earlier last week. So uh, without further ado, I just want to give some insight to some of the main characters. You certainly know how to compliment a woman. Well, if you'll excuse me. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Well, I'm very happy for you. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, a little bit lighter uh, today uh, with that, but um, and hopefully God will give me some grace about bringing Ron Burgundy into church here too. But. Uh, all that to be said, we are continuing with this theme today of grappling with grumbling. And it's not just the people of Israel who are grappling with grumbling, it's also the leaders of these people. They're showing their flaws as well, even when they think that they're kind of a big deal. And these aren't just leaders, these are also family members of God's chosen Moses, who is trying to lead his people to the promised land as promised by God. And it's through these flawed people that we still see examples contrasting of how we can choose to be envious or prideful or show grace 
through humility. So I just want to pray over the message today. Dear God, I pray that uh, you will just uh, have our, our minds and our hearts open and soften, God, to, to hear what you want to tell us through your living word, God. God, I pray that I'm just a vessel, a conduit, just to share uh, the message that you've put on my heart uh, with this church, God. And uh, we pray that uh, you will open our eyes uh, to potential opportunities uh, that we have to apply the lessons that you give us today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we can actually proceed into the reading today, I think it's important that we go over the history of the main characters in this chapter. So, so far, how have we gotten here? Well, we're early on in our journey from Egypt still. There is a long way to go. The Israelites haven't even been told yet that they're going to have to wander the wilderness for an entire generation to essentially die off, 40 years. So right now, we are going to be dealing with Moses. I think most of us know who Moses is, but it's important to remember that he was a flawed leader himself. You may know that he was not a great speaker. He uh, also was an angry man. He murdered there were times that his authority were challenged repeatedly by the Israelites and by his own family. Kind of a big deal, but flawed. His sister Miriam and Aaron are also a significant part of this passage as well. And I think it's important that we go over Miriam and Aaron as, uh, in order to understand contextually for the passage. So Miriam... Miriam was the daughter of Amram and Jeshobed. I apologize if I'm going to butcher names, but that's not uh, something I'm blessed with. But uh, she was the sister of Aaron and Moses. So she was kind of a big deal herself. First, when Moses was found in the reed basket, uh, she had approached Pharaoh's wife, suggested that she should find a nursemaid for Moses, a Hebrew nursemaid and actually was cunning enough to select Moses' mom to be a nursemaid for him. She was also listed in the Bible in Exodus as the first prophetess. She played a role in the parting of the Red Sea. So Miriam was kind of a big deal, and yet, as we find out in this passage, she was also flawed. Her brother Aaron, he was a big deal himself. We go back to Egypt. Moses was concerned about his speech, being able to communicate. And so God, upset by this, said, I'm going to choose Aaron to speak for you. So Aaron spoke for Moses often to Pharaoh. Aaron also performed many miracles with Moses' staff. Um, and he also communicated to the people of Israel for Moses. Aaron was appointed the first high priest and prophet, and God did speak through him. Yet Aaron was flawed as well. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, obtaining the Ten Commandments, Aaron was complicit with the people of Israel when they were building their golden calf. And yet again, we're going to find out in Numbers 12 where he's being complicit yet again in defiance of God's will. So what does this mean? 
Aaron was a big deal, and yet he was flawed. So let's go into the word now, now that we're armed with this kind of background history. Numbers 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman that he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And the man Moses was very meek, more than all of the people on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forward. And he said to them, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned to Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away, when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, Please, heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed for seven days? Let her be shut outside of the camp for seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. There is a lot to unpack here. Last week in Matt's message, we were exposed to God's righteous anger that he shows the people of Israel. And that was in the face of his providence as well. It's interesting comparing a lot of these Old Testament stories to how perhaps I think some of us see our God today. I think in our modern ways, we have this kind of prosperity philosophy that is infiltrated into how we see our God. And we take God for granted. We question the wisdom of our God creator, and we are still, even still, repeatedly shown grace and provision, but he does have righteous anger, and it is his right to discipline us as well. He is holy. And we're going to go through this storyline again. Verses 1 and 2, and I'll get to verse 3 in a few minutes here. First, it's notable that Miriam was mentioned first. It says Miriam and Aaron. So there's a lot of debate about that. 
could be that um, Miriam was the one who was more directly involved in, in kind of gossiping or confronting. And even at that, um, it still does not mention specifically who they were talking to. We don't know if they were talking to Moses. We don't know if they were talking to the people of Israel. We don't know if they were whispering even. However, they were still sharing their heart. God heard it. We can go back to Genesis. We can go back to Genesis when Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground after he was murdered by Cain. And God heard his blood. Why then? God, who is in his presence at their encampment, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-seeing, all-understanding God, how would we think that even speaking against his will would be even a, a rational thing? It's still sinful. The mention of Moses' wife in these verses is also interesting as well. There's a lot of debate to whether it was offensive because she was black or not an Israelite. Perhaps she had been some of the people who came along with uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt. At its best, it shows contempt and, at its, and also could show the presence of racism. Contempt, envy, all are rooted in pride. And this flies in the face of what God wants of us. How do we fight this? How do we get around this, this earthly tension of pride that we have? It starts with contentment. John MacArthur writes about contentment. He states that contentment is the Greek word that means self-sufficiency. Stoic philosophers used to describe a person who was unflappable and unmoved by external circumstances. Christians ought to be satisfied and sufficient for God himself is the source of true contentment. They should have no need to seek for more than what God has already supplied in and through himself. God gives us contentment. How do we seek that contentment in our lives that God provides us? We need to do this in a couple of ways. Through word, through prayer, through coming together as a family. We need to get in the word. As in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my father. The Lord is our leader. The Lord is our provider. I shall not want. Getting into that, he gives us what we need. He gives us our daily bread. We've seen this even repeated throughout other passages as well. I shall not worry. I shall not have in me. He lays me down in green pastures by still waters. He is my protector. He keeps me safe. I shall have peace. I shall have shalom. These truths we need to rest in. 
verses 4 through 8. God has an order. We have to remember that we're still in the Old Testament here. Not everyone could simply be in the presence of God. We, we have people that are just too big for their britches here. But it's much more than that. You see, Miriam and Aaron, uh, while they're being put in their place by God, they are still prophets. They, they do have blessings that he has bestowed to them in their lives, yet they're just not seeing it. Only Moses is God's chosen one to speak to directly. And instead of celebrating that, they are provoking God's anger by confronting Moses about their station in this. Looking back at Romans that we just went through, I don't wonder if Paul had this story in mind when he wrote Romans 12, 15. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Yet, Miriam, yet Aaron is saying to God, the same God who has been leading these people out of the bondage of Egypt that has helped them to be sustained through the plagues in Egypt, saved their firstborns during Passover, parted the Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's army, provided for their every physical need in the wilderness. They're saying to that God, we don't trust you. You don't have authority here. We want us to live our lives as we feel is important. We are kind of a big deal ourselves. I, how foolish is that? And yet, let's move forward a couple thousand years. Let's look at ourselves. Let's look at how we see ourselves in our lives. I'm guilty. I have been envious of nuclear families and my situation being without a an earthly father, and how do we cope with that? What is that worldly tension that we have? I can tell you I have sinned. I cope with alcohol. I coped with drugs, self-loathing. And what did it lead to? There were no fruits of the Spirit that came out of it. Anger, anxiety, loneliness. And if you're experiencing those emotions, maybe perhaps you too are also coping not in the way that God intends us to cope. God has given me provision. God has put people in my lives that have made a difference, that have helped to teach me to Rejoice when people are successful. God has also put people in my life who have come beside me when I weep and when I go through struggles in my life. I am blessed beyond measure in my work and my family. And I have been guilty, guilty of not going to prayer it's easy enough, right, to go into prayer when, when we're 
faced with a trial in our lives. But what about, what about when God has blessed us? Are we taking away some of our ability to, to just evangelize in that, to share that with others, the amazing grace that God gives us when life is going good? Another way to look at this, this challenge to God's authority, to his will, we need to look at it as a parent. I mean, it's, I, m- many of you, I'm sure, are parents um, and have had kids that just slowly obey your will. Yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, I was going to do that. And that gets frustrating and angering. But what if, what if you have a child that comes directly against your authority and says, no, I'm not going to do that? Well, I don't know about your house, but in our house, when that happens, there's going to be some serious discipline. And so, let's dig into that. God struck Miriam with leprosy. It's interesting to me that God chose leprosy as a as a punishment. Leprosy, the symptoms can cause, like in Miriam's case, a lightening of the skin or even a whitening of the skin. And it can be incredibly painful. It can be disfiguring. It can be debilitating. It causes a slow rotting away of the tissue. And you can feel free to look more up on WebMD if you want. In the Bible, these people were isolated to try and prevent spread of this disease. And they were left to die a slow, agonizing death. There is irony in this, however, not because the other name for leprosy is Hansen's disease. (laughs) True. (laughs) It's almost like God is saying to Miriam, if you think the skin of Moses' wife is too dark for your approval, then let me give you truly white skin. Let me turn you over to your sin. Now that... That right there is righteous anger. There are humbling lessons given to Miriam and Aaron in this. But there's more. The other observation that can be made, Aaron was not struck with leprosy. Why not Aaron? Why just Miriam? I think because God's judgment caused change in Aaron. Really fast change. He was made to humble himself. He had to ask for Moses to intercede with God on Miriam's behalf, basically saying, you know what? I take back what I'm saying. You are closer to God. Aaron was forced to ask Moses to intercede on his behalf with Miriam. And he has to acknowledge by his actions of asking Moses to intercede with God, that Moses is in a higher or closer station to God himself. He has to acknowledge also humbling himself that God has authority. God has a plan. And in doing this, he's humbling, submitting himself to that, trying to make atonement for it. Moses Moses then asked God to heal Miriam 
And God instructed her to have a seven-day timeout, if you will. The story is not over, however. Because I think that what I've omitted here is a massive chunk of foreshadowing. In Genesis, we see lots of examples uh, alluding to Christ, our Savior, coming. We see the gospel message throughout these stories. And this story is no different. At first glance, when somebody reads the author writing this, stating that he was the most humble man who lived at that time. But there's truth in that because God instructed Moses to write this. And there's some debate around it, but I, I don't wonder that it shows an incredible amount of meekness. So what is the definition of meekness? There's lots of definitions to meekness. It's not just being poor. I think exegetically, we can look at this passage to define meekness, Moses being the most meek man who lived. And when we look at this passage, Moses just had his own brother, his own sister, confront him about his wife. Not only that, they confront him about where he is at with God. And what does he do? Does he call down God to, to just righteously punish these people? No, he doesn't. He instead intercedes for them. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard about a man who was challenged, a man who was tortured, a man who was beaten, a man who was whipped, put on a cross, and instead of calling down his father to take care of him, interceded for us. We have a Christ Jesus who has died for our, for our sins. We have the blessing of uh, a heavenly father who has given his own son, who loves us that much that no matter what, no matter where we are at, no matter where we are in our sin lives, no matter where we are at in our prayer lives, that he is still interceding for us. So even when, through our hearts, through our actions, we're being Miriams, we're being Aaron's, we are questioning God's authority, even through that, we are given grace. Our time in this wilderness that we have, it will pass. We need to lay down our pride. We need to have faith in God's authority and God's plan for our lives. We need to have contentment in our lives. We need to come around each other. We need to rejoice with our brothers and our sisters when they're rejoicing and we need to weep with them when they are weeping. We need to find that content in the providence that God promises us. And so, in that spirit, Stonebridge, I want, I want us to do something that might make us a little bit uncomfortable.
I want us to get okay with being uncom uncomfortable. And sometimes it starts with just a little step here. I want us to do something that we've not done. I want us to reach out to somebody, meet with them, just take the next minute or two. I want, you don't have to share their li your life story or them with you unless you're uncomfortable with it, but I want you to at least take that step and share something that you are rejoicing in, a praise report, and something that you're weeping in. And I want us to take time to pair up here. Ideally, you'd be with somebody you didn't come with, but I think it would be great if corporately we were to do that and then take a moment or two to just pray all together for those people. So. Okay.
this is beautiful to me, but. Stonebridge, this is beautiful. This is, to me, family. And even if we don't have our worldly family, we need to do this more. We need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those that are weeping. So now what I'm going to do as the worship team comes up, I'm just going to pray and I would encourage you just to lift up your prayers for the people that you spoke with, any of the prayer requests. And I just want to encourage you this week to take the time to pray over them. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this family that, that you've given us, God. We thank you for the lessons that you've given us here in learning meekness and humility and God, just help us to get into the word. Help us to not just check the boxes, God, but help us to actually get into the word that you give us, God. God, that word, that righteousness, that is a, an amazing weapon that you give us in this, in this fight against the worldly just trials that we are dealing with, God. God, I pray that uh, you, will, you will hear our prayers. We know that uh, whenever two or more gather together, God, your presence is there. And God, just this is, to me, just, just so comforting, God. God, we thank you. We thank you for your direction. We thank you for your grace and providence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.